Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. That lost highway. Yes. Episode 44 of the Lost Highway podcast has commenced, y'all. The podcast of all things Cosmic Country. Howdy. How are y'all doing? I am Daniel Donato, still learning what it means to be to be that. Uh, we just recorded the new Cosmic Country album, and uh, I'm very excited about this. And something that I learned in this process, which was something I was hoping this process would be, which was what can I learn about myself, right, while I'm going and learning about creating music. And this was, this was something I learned, and I think uh, we can all kind of benefit from thinking about this. Before we get to that, I want to congratulate everybody on the millions of dollars uh, that you have made on your very wise and a forethought investment of moving into the space of GameStop, uh, Nokia, and most importantly of them all, Dogecoin. What would the world do without Dogecoin? I really think he who controls the memes controls the universe, uh, said Elon Musk. Uh, fuck yeah, it's the truest thing I think uh, I've ever read. So there's that idea. But here's another idea. Uh, negotiating with reality. I think if you really want to be successful at something, uh, and you want to work for yourself and you want to be a boss and get things done and, and be successful in that drive, you got to negotiate with reality um, in certain ways. And the process of creating music, which is the process of creating a reality, like when a song is playing and it's, and it's a good enough song to where it captures your thought process for two minutes and 30 seconds to three minutes and 45 seconds on a streaming platform, the artists and the team behind that artist were creators of that reality that you just experienced or at least had a part in it. And it's like, that's kind of playing God in some way. And I think you got to negotiate with reality. I learned this when we were tracking. We would be three choruses into a song and be like, let's try this vocal riff here. Let's try this guitar tone here. Let's try this drum fill. And you realize that you have all these ideas to improvise when you're trying to get to your goal, right? The goal of the song or the goal of a journey you're on in life, right? These are metaphorically speaking. You got to negotiate with reality. Sometimes you go left, sometimes you go right. The, for, the, the fortune of music is that you can try it going left and right, go back and listen and see what works. In life, we have to review day by day and talk to ourselves. But I always tried the idea, which is a Rick Rubin style method. And so this boils down to always try the thing you think you should try, right? So you don't have fear, you don't have um, regret of inaction, which is the form of regret most people have at, at the end of their life. Most people regret not having tried something as opposed to having tried something and failed. Um, negotiate with reality. We would try going left, say, 75%, but the thing that actually worked was going left 25%. So that's something I'm going to do here is I'm going to, moving forward in 2021 and hopefully onward, if I can stay present in, in here, is negotiating with reality in wise ways that my intuition kind of points me to. And... I don't want to brag about any of the work we're doing because that's that's fucking amateur. That's silly. But there's a concept of take care of the work and the work will take care of you. And that was a thought process I was having behind uh, each beat that happened uh, behind this new Cosmic Country record that's coming out. Is I was trying to take care of the work. We were doing 12-hour days. I was doing definitely doing lunch breaks because that's you're not going to be a wise human if you don't eat food and get nutrition in. Um, 
but yeah, went very hard. Now is the time in my life to go super hard. And if you're 25, 26 years old, younger, a little bit older, go go as hard as you can. But negotiate with reality. Be a boss and get it done. But be smart, right? Don't just say no. Reality is the only thing that's the realest thing that's in front of us at any given point in time. And it's the number one producer of change. So you might as well negotiate with it up until your last breath because you're going to have to do it whether you think you are or not. Play your cards wisely, my friend, and play them with patience, persistence, and positivity. Y'all stay cosmic and y'all join the Cosmic Country Club so you can hear this record before anyone else in the world does. Thank you, guys. The internet wins. The internet is always going to win moving forward. And I think the way that the internet wins and affects country music is one of the best things and most entertaining things uh, that I spend my time consuming right now. And I think a fantastic artist that is combining the invasive culture that is the internet um, with great country and truthful songwriting is Mr. Dougie Poole. Um, I am a massive fan of this artist. Uh, he is just truthful. Uh, his lyricism is so unique. His aesthetic is very thoughtful. And it turns out that he's a very thoughtful, unique, and intelligent person. So it turns out that his music is a reflection of who he is. And I love when there's a transparency there between the artist and the art. Uh, I hadn't met Dougie before our, uh, our virtual conversation. I very much so enjoyed each and every minute. He's a very wise man, very kind man. Uh, I urge y'all to go check out his music right now, uh, and especially his YouTube videos. That, that plays into a key element of, of who he is and what he does. Um, no further ado, Mr. Dougie Poole. Dougie Poole, I am a huge fan, sir. Thanks so much, man. Likewise. Um, where are you at? Are you, you're in New York City? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn right now, in South Brooklyn, um, kind of like Flatbush, Leopard's Gardens area. What is the... Um, What's the what's the landscape like in Brooklyn right now on a musical level? On a musical level, there's not much at all. Yeah, no shows, no nothing. No, there's, you know, the radio stations are still going. So, like, some of our local, like, obviously the big ones are still going. And, like, WKCR, WFMU, uh, our public radio stations are, I guess, doing some broadcasting from home and stuff. But, uh, yeah, show-wise... Not much. I guess I heard, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, jazz guitar player, Bill, Bill Frizzell. Bill so good. I love Bill Frizzell. Yeah. He, he's been doing some, some shows. Let's see, like in his, in our, in a lot of houses here, especially like townhouses and stuff, there's like out front, there's not like a yard, but it's like an area where your trash cans are and like the yep. steps are and stuff. Yep. Um, and I think he's like done some shows out there. I tried to get tickets to one and it was sold out. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of all I really know of. It's weird. The thing that's weird is that music won't stop. Like people keep playing shows, like people congregate for the live experience of sharing a moment that simply won't ever happen again. It's impossible to recreate a show. Dougie pool plays at the knitting factory you know, in March of 2021 and I go and see it and everyone else who's there, that moment in time never has the possibility of being replicated again. And I think on some like very deep level, we're very aware of that. And we won't let anything really stop the manifestation of that experience. And it's weird to see like us 
still like jumble to make things work against all these rules. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously the rules are, yeah, really important. And I don't know if I've found, at least with like the live streaming stuff, I don't know if I've like found a format that like really, no, actually, you know what? I, I haven't like watched a ton of live streams and in a way that like gives me the experience that I love of watching a live show. And for a long time I was, I was doing like solo live streams and I'd like set up, you know, I got like a green screen and stuff and I'd like set up that and just kind of like play my guitar and sing. And yeah, I wasn't loving that either really, but I, a couple of weeks ago I played my roommate does like live video stuff. He can like manipulate VHS and stuff. Ooh. And so the other day we kind of jammed and it was like, it felt really good. And I think it was like the collaboration part that I was missing, you know? Cause like, yeah. I don't know, I can't like, me and my bandmates were all in separate bubbles, you know? Like I don't, my, my roommate doesn't really play music. My girlfriend doesn't play music. So like, you know, I've been pretty like, uh, yeah, craving just like the live collaboration feeling. It's weird. I think so. Jerry Garcia calls it X chemistry, which obviously is like a um, it's pretty like woo woo approach of of really just kind of saying like, man, the variable of human energy when creating music is truly necessary for certain kinds of genres, and and what you do, man, is very much so a human based transaction. Oh. Man, so that that has to be crucial for what you do, you know. I admire the cats like Tommy Emanuel or, um, you know, Chet Atkins and you know Joe Robinson, all these uh, guitar players that can go out. Doyle Dykes, uh, Steve Warner, that can go out and just play by themselves and recreate the energy of of many players in one man or or woman. That's tough, man. I need people in the room, both yeah. listening and both playing. Like I need other people involved. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I've been, like, doing... Approaching that a little, I've been, like, trying to develop my finger style playing a bit. Um, oh, nice. How so? Past few years, you know, just, like, learning Travis style, like, pretty well. Uh, how I came across your videos is I've been, like, trying to brush up on, like, some hybrid picking because, you know, like, I, I like playing with the finger picks, but then sometimes it feels a little clunky and, like... No, I, I, I hate the finger picks, do they? Yeah. The thing about the finger picks I've always noticed is that it's like it's just enough of a barrier from that human element for where it sounds very prosthetic-y. Yeah, it feels I actually like the way it sounds, but it just doesn't feel it feels really restrictive to me. Like I can't like it very much slows down my fingers to the point where like they're far behind my brain. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. That's weird. Uh, and so, like, even with that, like, feeling, feeling, you know, like, I feel, and I play a lot of, you know, for a long time I was playing shows in New York every once in a while. I would just, like, bring a guitar up and play by myself. Um, finger picking and, like, that that felt like okay energy to me. But I think without an audience, I mean, obviously the audience, like, brings. Oh, you know, yeah. Energy. Oh, it's wild. And without that, it really feels like just alone without an actual audience other than like the implied audience of a live stream. It very much feels just like uh, uh, 
playing alone in the room, which it is. <laughs> it really is that, you know, in some way, like I you know, so, um, there's a great culture like on Twitch and people who are able to really like, uh, kind of mend what they do onto that platform and, and, and for it to work. But it's like, I feel like if you're a guitar player, if you're, you know, a piano player, if your sole thing is that you're a musician, that, that's where you're starting. You got to have those people in the room. It's just, it's inexplainable. You see with comedy, I had a, I got like this uh, zoom link to go to like a comedy show for like a, um, like a fairly well-known comedian. And it was like a hundred people, or something like that got to watch this show and it was weird it was like they'd make the punchline and like the chat would be like ha 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 lol right, like, what right. the fuck is happening <laughs> it's like, this is so strange i'm not yeah. into this it's really it uh it it takes a lot of the air out of it and you know i guess i'm like i guess i mean to you know the resilient spirit that drives people to keep trying you know yeah oh yeah but uh yeah, for a while I had sort of given up on it. Man, um, I had no idea that you were such a um, a studious guitar player by your music. Um, is that you playing on a lot of your tracks? Uh, yeah, I I like wrote a lot of the guitar playing, and then like my guitar player kind of like did his own thing with it. Oh, uh, cool. But yeah, I haven't done much finger style stuff. I learned that mostly. Uh, to like accompany myself, you know, alone, um, to sort of make things more interesting than just like, you know, strumming the chords. Oh, well, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's like legitimately, like, I'm going to pull up some of like what, like, man, like Toshiba Sky, Los Angeles, like vaping on the job, like your whole approach. And then man, especially the tune, like Los Angeles, like what you're doing aesthetically, like it's very Western and it's very country. It's very Americana, but there's also like this like lo-fi, almost like shoegazy, like Brooklyn vibe to it. And I just wanted yeah. to kind of get in your brain of like, what's going on, like in your mind when it, when it comes to like writing and, and collaborate or like writing and, and recording. And cause it looks like even just like, on your Spotify, it looks like you're like living in like one of those like many like twenty four seven like side like like Soho gas station or not even gas station like service station places where you can like go and buy Visine and like cucumber flavored jewel pods for like yeah those we have those like on every corner here basically oh yeah um, yeah there's one across that's not the one across the street from my house but there's one across the street from my house like it's almost like a midnight it's like midnight cowboy almost meets 2020 in 2021 (laughs) yeah um you know i don't i overthink it in the sense that like i'm really uh obsessive about how things sound and like kind of a perfectionist sometimes to a fault i would say but uh as far as like lar- like questions of larger like mixing genres and stuff, I don't really overthink that so much. I <laughs> it's funny, like I think of it just as country music. Like I listen to a lot of country music and like what kind of country do you like the most? You know, I when I started this project, like so I grew up uh I grew up liking jam bands a lot. Right. Yeah, come like, on. Like, like and- What's that? Are you a fan of the dead? Yeah. Big lifetime Grateful Dead fan. Yeah. I still come back to them several times a year and go for like a pretty deep dive. Yep. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite area of the dead? You know, lately it's been like I've really liked the like '90s MIDI stuff lately. I think that's really cool. So just, weird. It's really weird. Like, I kind of I feel like I'm a dead fan. Like, I'm there for the for the bad live stuff. Of course. Knowing <laughs> me that it's like fully admit this is not good stuff. Yeah, right. I like it a lot. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and so I will often just like put on live at the Nick, which is like one of their, I think like a kind of early, early nineties. Do- dozing at the Nick. Yeah. Dozing yeah. at the Nick. Right, right, right. That's it. Um, <clears throat> sounds like someone's uh, getting down to it in Brooklyn over there. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> part every day. All the time. Um, yeah. Dozing at the Nick has been a favorite lately, you know, just like the harmonies are all over the place. Like Brent, who I love. Brent. Horrible. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, or wait, he might not even be, I guess he is on Dozing at the Nick. I don't know. That that was probably like right around the time before, after he, uh, he kicked, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's so, yeah, a great era. It's a great era yeah. of the dead. And so you were into jam bands and you were also, when did country start becoming part of your of your purview? Well, so they exposed me to like, you know, uh, Merle Haggard, obviously. And, Mama Tried, right. Sing right. Me Back Home. And uh, let's see, Marty Robbins. El Paso, right. right. And it's just like a big river, Johnny Cash. Right. Yeah. So they, they kind of got me into those guys. And then, you Crazy. know, like I kind of found bluegrass through the side projects there. Um, and my parents liked folk music, you know, which is obviously like country adjacent in many ways. So it was kind of like I danced around it a lot um, for a long time. You know, I, yeah, I was into, I like learned to play the banjo for betting in high school and stuff. Banjo's hard, man. Really hard. I get it's it. a really hard instrument. That's like, I don't get why like deliverance holds up where people think it's just like low minded individuals that can just play banjo very well. Like, if you ever try, it takes patience and oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hard. Lot of, lot of time. Yeah. A lot of time. You're teaching your body to do something completely natural, like not natural. Like it's unfucking real how hard it is. And that top string you never hit. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. It's open tune, which I always struggle with. Yeah, I don't like open tune. Hard, too much. You know, it's just like it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like really tied down. Uh-huh. Open tuning, you know, just like tied into a major whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I got into that, and then I, like, let's see, in college I studied, I can actually tell you, there were, like, a couple moments where it, like, clicked with me that country music was what I wanted to make. Oh, dude, what, what are they? Uh, I was at, um, one was I was at some show, it was at Baby's All Right, which is a gig here, it must have been, like, oh, 2013 yeah. or 2014, and whoever was DJing that night put on uh, Billy Swan's cover of Don't Be Cruel. Oh, you know? And that's like a really far out. I mean, that's country, but it's like, it's pretty far out. Yeah. Stuff. You know, Charlie Crockett just put out a version of I Can Help, which is a oh, yeah. that's Billy great. Swan great song. song. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that clicked with me in a big way. I, I kind of was like, 
I've always like really like slowed down stuff, you know, like I, I like DJ screw a lot. I will just like that effect of like slowing stuff down. Uh, you know, like in the early 2010s, I spent a lot of time on YouTube on those just like, like Rush's working man slowed down like 800%. Like, yeah. uh, like the Eagles in the city slowed down 800%. And I just like listen to those and I like them a lot. It's like I, the vaporwave like, approach. Yeah, like drone or something. I don't know. It, it clicked for me. Um, and I feel like Swan's, Swan's Elvis cover... Uh, like gets that. Uh, and so I think that was like sort of a new door, a new way in for me. And then I also heard, uh, <laughs> I was watching uh, Eastbound and Down, that HBO show. Again, probably around the same time and like so cool. George Jones's Grand Tour. Aww. In an episode. And I'm just like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Yeah, man. This is really like you're talking about a paparazzi level vocalist. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 the best. My probably my number one fave <sighs> now. Um so that's kind of and I like studied I did I studied math for most of I went to college and I studied math there for a lot of it. And then kind of towards the end I realized that I didn't like math and wasn't really that great at it. And so I picked up creative writing as a major. So I like, I've been writing in some form or another, or I had been before I started writing country songs, you know, for a few years. And I knew that was a skill that I had that I was like pretty good at. Um, and I knew I liked making music. Um, in terms of uh, creative writing, like in a bullet point fashion, what are some... Cause everyone I'm sure has dabbled in creative writing, like writing about writing about your life, writing, even journaling, you know, and, and doing, or something that is somewhat fictional um, in school. But in terms of someone who's gone to college and studied creative writing in a bullet point sense, like what are some takeaways and like things that people can do that, that you still presently do strategy wise? Uh, you know, it was pretty free form strategy wise, you know, yeah. not like, I think it's a lot like those classes are, they remind or they, they sound to me like how my friends who are in art school uh, describe their like critiques where it's like, you just kind of bring something in. And so I would say what it taught me was to like, like I would write to a room, you know, like I would write to try to write things that would like, I would get to know my classmates and then try to write little stories that, I felt like would resonate in the room in the context mm. of what we were reading and like what other people were writing. So I think like, as far as just kind of like reading a vibe from people and like, oh, wow. like mirroring, not, not in like a, I don't think in an artificial way, just like writing something that feels like it will be powerful for people and that they will respond to, you know? And I think like, being in a big room of people talking about your work is a something that like we as musicians don't get. I I don't know, maybe like people who study music, like formally in conservatories get this kind of critique, but like, I don't, I haven't in my, you know, music career of like 
playing basements and bars and whatever going yeah. on floors. Really? You don't really get that kind of thing that much. Other than the, you know, obvious, you know, at, at a certain point you get good at reading the response of people in a room in the moment that you're doing something live. But, um, so I think in a larger sense that I think was, was important for me. I had one really great teacher who, Hmm. I don't know. Her, her whole thing was like, I guess it boiled down to like, every time you did something, instead of saying it was good or bad, she just like, was just like, like, why? Right. Come on. Right. 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 And And just like kind of made you ride that string out as far as it would go. And I like still have some of the stuff that I made for that class. And it was very much the opposite of what I was just describing, which is like, it's not really like when you're doing stuff like that, it gets really heady and conceptual. Um, and there's value in that, but it's like sort of the other side of, you know, you're not really writing, you're like writing stuff as a personal or making stuff as a personal exercise to see what you come up with by yourself, but not necessarily intending it to be, Yep. reflected or as a reflection of other people, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think um, when it comes to editing, right? So I think editing is the thing that is like <clears throat> the biggest, that was a big wow moment for me when I started getting in rooms and writing sessions in Nashville with people that were more experienced than I am and a few years older was the process of editing in the contrast of a mindset when it comes to the actual improvisation, creation, birthing process of an idea and writing it down for a first draft. Yeah. And so I, I wonder if it's like, cause your shit is so mod, like so competitively modern in the sense of like song titles like, don't you think I'm funny anymore? Less young, but it's dumb. Where it's like, as like as we go to like a, a more formal time, like 70s and 80s, and you have songs like um, um, She Thinks I Still Care, and songs that are touching on way less individualized concepts. Um, I feel like where we're at now, like we have so many songs, like even like, uh, like you feel like like Ariana Grande songs, like 34, 35, like so like so individualized. That's like we're in the era of the of the hyper atomic individual. And like your song titles, like vaping on the job, like you couldn't write that song in the fucking 90s. But you right. write that song now. And it's like, so what's your what's your thought process on writing in the moment and then and then editing? You know, I don't do a lot of, you know, obviously writing has to occur in some moment, but my process is very much not like, I, I pretty rarely will like sit down, write a song in one session, like a first draft and then like come back and edit it. And the second draft, it's like a pretty drawn out process of like fitting pieces into a larger puzzle. I would say, you know, like Mm. I have a sense of, uh, you know, like Vaping on the Job is probably one of those title first songs, you know, like I knew that was something that people did, like people I know do that. Right. Yeah. And I've done that. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that 
you know, right. There's a lot of, there's a lot going on there. Um, and so I knew that that was something that I wanted to think about, but, uh, as far as, yeah, that, that came together, all, all of them kind of come together, like in bits and pieces over a long period of time. And every oh, once in a while, I get lucky and like wake up with a song in my head, but that's pretty rare. That's a rare thing when the muse is very much a visible. Yeah. 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 Do you, so it sounds like you might be a title first, like Toshiba saw it, sky sounds title first. That was actually, a, that was the title second one, I think, or like, oh, I don't know, you know, it's kind of hard to pick it apart like that. Sometimes yeah. I do. I, I think I'm aware of, you know, I think the titles come, the titles. Yeah. A lot of people ask me about my titles and I, I think it's like, I try to write an interesting hook and usually that, mm. that, wow. That leaves you with like a good title. So I would say like I'm a hook first guy, you know? Oh yeah. That's country. That's like the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like hooks a lot. Um, Like, I I don't know the way that I, I'm not really a big like record listener or like I do, but that's like, you know, I'll put on a record and it's like Mort Garson or like, you know, like the Vangelis soundtrack to, Blade Runner, you know, like I, I like records, but right. Usually, when I drop a needle on something, it's like it's not necessarily close listening time for me. Whereas, like, I'll take a country song that I like and I'll like listen to it in my headphones for like four days or something. Man, me too. I get in like a, uh, I get in this like atmosphere of a single song. Yeah, yeah, and I think I like try to right with that in mind like i love that experience of just like being like what is it about this that has me coming back constantly and usually the hook or just like great right you know it's usually something oh yeah that is functioning as the hook whether it's what we can like typically think of as a hook or not Right. I feel like as we start getting into the world that we're in now where it's like so much of like um the asset of a song needs to be communicated in a faster format than it, than it used to like 15, 30 seconds is kind of like your capsule of what you get to like advertise a song. If you're an up and coming artist, you know? Um, And it's like, I think technology plays a huge part in that. Sometimes a melodic asset, that's not even a lyrical thing that a song offers is the hook. You know, like the the thing that I remember that being the first occurrence in my life was like um, Paper Planes, MIA. Totally. It's like that intro is the hook of the song. Right. Like you put that on and I am there. Like I'm on the school bus, driving to school, like on my way to school, listening to that in the hallway. And it's like, I am a young child again, wearing like Etnies shoes, (laughs) like trying to learn how to Ollie like very badly. (laughs) Yeah. That was that thing. And it's like, man, your music in that sense has like these really great, like melodic tinges that I feel like a lot of other country in American music isn't offering. Thanks. I, uh, I appreciate that a lot. You know, like I really like pop music. Uh, and again, yeah, my listening approach is like very like compulsive sometimes where it's just like give me that hook again and again and again and again and again until i'm like done (laughs) (laughs) well yeah yeah 
And then, you know, and then I come back to it. But uh, yeah, I like that. Are you, do you produce your own records? I've only done two. The first one I did home totally by myself. Uh, Specifically freelancers blues like that. And, you know, of course, all the singles you put out in 2020, which are accompanied on that. So that signal, that the last signal, say single, sorry, Toshiba Sky, that I did at home. It was like part of a, it was part of a, uh, yeah, that's produced myself, written, recorded. Great, man. Parts. Um, and then mixed by Mexican Summer, they, they've got a, like an in-studio guy who does all their mixing, mastering stuff. Um, and then the record I co-produced with the guy who makes Johnny Shanky, who like records a lot of bands here. Um, I, I co-produced that with him, uh, had a lot of like my band played on a lot of it. I played a lot of different, the way I recorded, I actually like tracked fully all the demos and then like brought it in and like we dropped parts out. Oh, wow. So you got, you were, the stems were there. The stems were there. I think we recorded, or for some of the, for some of them, we like pulled stuff out. For some of them, we like rehearsed. I rehearsed the rhythm section of my band, and then we did that and kind of layered some of the old stems on top of it. Or like I re-recorded the new stems. It was very again like puzzle pieces coming together. Um, yeah, so that's, that's a, a real great, thing. Uh, great uh, steel guitar playing. Um, this guy Dan Aid Aid. Uh, he he's again out of Brooklyn. Plays with, and he plays with like Nora Jones and Casper Combs and stuff. Dude, I he's, fucking love Nora Jones. I can't. She's I can't. great. He's her steel player and her guitar player. He's uh, he's oh, terrific. Really, whoa, really, really yeah. I gotta connect with him, man. And so yeah. is he on the? Has he been with her for a while? He's on the earlier recordings. I don't know. I know he's like. I think he's in her live group now i don't know much about their history together it's just like when he came in he just came in and did banged it out in two sessions like he listened to the tracks but like we didn't rehearse anything and he like sat in for a day and just knocked everything out so uh, like that's so the good. thing like i realized like so i spent i started playing music when i was 14 i'm, I'm about to be 26 in april so i had like i started doing my own artist thing when i was around 23 years old so all that time in between, I was going into sessions in the dozens wow. of studios that are in town, and I was playing on people's records. Oh, cool. But the thing was like, you come in, you wake up at 8 a.m., you go in for a 10 a.m. session, and this artist has been sitting on this song for a fucking year. They've been playing it out in Topeka, Kansas. They've been making sure that that second verse lyric is perfect, and the way that they deliver that last chorus hook is right on the money. But then you come in as the player, and you don't have that emotional attachment to the song. And that can sometimes be an advantage to the song because you don't have all that ego tied to it. But then when I started doing my own records, I was very much so like, I don't want anyone who hasn't like played this material with me live to come in and touch on it. And that's funny to me that I was thinking, like listening to your records, like this must be this guy's band. Like these must just be his bros that are- Most of it is. Yeah. But then you had some outside forces that didn't have that intimacy with the material. Did you find that that was actually like a good thing for for the music? You know, I think if you're a good enough player, yeah. You know, I think if you come in and knock it out and like, yeah, then it works. Um, Like I don't, I think Nashville's got, it's like a little bit of a different environment where they're like, 
there are a lot of players like that. This is like oh, the man. only like pro steel player I know does <laughs> sessions. So it was like I didn't really have a whole lot of choice, but it worked out great. Are you from New York? I am. I grew oh, up here. Yeah. My whole family's from Jersey and New York. Oh, whoa, cool. Yeah. Then we moved to Nashville when I was like eight years old before I even started guitar. Um, I just that whole Northeast culture is is it's really it, it's cool to see it. I don't know too many country artists that are able to integrate the um, the experience of that culture into their music very well, but you do. Like it feels That's like where you come from, man. Is, do you feel like living in the city has a big influence on you? I recently read again How Music Works by David Byrne, and he talks about how New York bleeds into his records. And you can hear it in Paul Simon, you can hear it in David, you can hear it in Trey Anastasio's music, and I can hear it in yours. I was wondering if that's like an intentional bleeding that happens. You know, I don't think so. I think, you know, I've lived here for a long time. I don't, it's not like, I don't, I wouldn't say I go out of my way. You know, I think I just try to write honest and like, yep. that's yeah. part of that is, you know, like I don't see horses that often. And, you know, like I don't like have a lot of. Except Clydesdale in Times Square. Right. Yeah. See, really. those, you see cops on horses sometimes on the beach, but otherwise, you know, it's not, it's not. That, that I was only saying that to illustrate a point. Like I don't have like cowboy stuff to write about, you know, yeah. I just like write, I just write, you know, what I know about, I guess. And like my experiences and my friends' experiences and stuff. So it's cool to see, like, I think country music, I'm glad the thing that like a big motif I've seen recently, like coming in on the conversations I have on this podcast is like everyone being like, yeah, I really do love country music. I just don't love like pop country. Like I don't love that whole oh, I love that. archetype. And, and it's like, it's funny to see how social media, the internet's like allowing the truth of what country music is to spread to the cultures that it should. And it's like, I read recently, man, like, um, New York really has been like always has loved country music. Like Garth Brooks's first show there was in Central Park, and there were over a million people that came. Right, right, yeah, I saw that. I saw that documentary about him. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's like what the fuck? I had no idea that the people of New York love country music that much. It was like that's yeah. crazy. It's big. You know, it's funny. I was like listening to Alan Jackson. I, for one, am a big like pop country fan. Uh, like you know the new stuff hit or miss but like the old 90s what gets what yeah i mean what gets carried over like anything still you know it's great songwriting like a lot of really good songwriting and after genres like like, any genre over any period of time will have good songwriting archetypes that carry over for the decades to come whether it's pop pop, country blues doesn't yeah And so, like, I don't know, I'm I'm there for pop country, you know, like, I, I get what some people don't like about it, and yeah, but, like, that that's not really enough to make me, yeah, I don't know, like, I still kind of dig it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was listening to, you know, I was listening to Alan Jackson in my car. Um, let's see, like pretty loud late one night. I was just like waiting, or it's my mom's car. <laughs> waiting, uh, waiting what is, what is your mom's car? I'm, I'm predicting, like, is it a Mazda? Honda. Pretty close. Just yeah, pretty close. Japanese. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, you need good gas mileage in the city. Oh, um, yeah, you do, yeah. Let's see. So I was, and you know, I live in a, a, a neighborhood that's like a lot of West Indian, West Indian folks. Um, and a guy came up to my car and while I was listening to Alan <laughs> Jackson was just like, yo, I'm from Jamaica. I love Alan Jackson. Like we love Alan Jackson in Jamaica. Yes, they do. I'm like, huh, I had no idea. Awesome. I just brought my friend uh, Jaw Acoustic onto the podcast, and he's a Bob. He's written um, the 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 best selling Bob Marley bibliography in uh, oh wow that's on the market. It's like he has over like seven hundred Bob Marley books. He knows everything about Bob, and we spent about an hour and a half talking about how country music and Jamaica and reggae music are are locked together, and they are so fucking similar. And it's wild because I'm all about getting rid of genres and getting rid of race um, predictions that, that cloud your interpretation of the true experience that is music. And you might not think that Bob Marley loved George Jones and Hank Sr. And, Fra- and Hank Snow, but he did. The second yeah. single he ever cut when he was 16 years old was a cover of a country song. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I hear it. I hear it in a huge way. Yeah, I mean, bluegrass is gospel music. There's that all over like early reggae music too. You know, it's, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of similarity for sure. The the truth really knows no bounds and it really knows no genre. It knows no race. And there might be a weird shitty period of 40, 50 years where we think that, you know, somebody tells us that these kinds of people don't listen to this kind of music and I can't enjoy pop music. I can't really enjoy reggae music because I'm not from there. But ultimately the truth wins and it comes out on top and it turns out that that's really the thing that connects us all together. Yeah, yeah. And I think just like basic stuff that like harmony, uh, you know, like nice harmony, people, it's just like, how how can you go wrong with like three voices saying a nice harmony? We played this gig last night and um, it was our first show of the year. That was like a ticketed event. We've been playing down at some of the honky tonks, like specifically Robert's Western world, which is like the home of traditional country music. And they don't do ticketed shows there. We'll just play for four hours and people come and go. And we did a ticketed show last night and it was um, our third song of the night. We end the song acapella. And the energy when you do an acapella executed melody with practice it it brings room together like nothing else does. Right. Yeah. And that you're tapping in on like a thousands of years old. Yeah. Like tradition on a human level. Yeah. No, it's, I, it's like, I guess the other thing that I think really, well, I mean, the bluegrass and, and, uh, and country music is I just, I really like vocal harmonies, you know, and obviously there's vocal harmonies all over the place in all kinds of music, but it's like, it's very, it's very front and center and, and like country music and bluegrass music and gospel music. And yeah. Have you always sang? Not really. You know, I, uh, that's crazy. I, I, that's fucking crazy because you have such a voice that sounds like you've always done that. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've always sang a little. You know, like I used to. I think I learned how to harmonize singing. I used to get stoned in my bathroom in high school and like take a bath and like sing along with 
like bluegrass and actually a lot of reggae too. I really, I was into reggae in high school and sing along with the Grateful Dead and stuff. Yeah. And that's when I learned how to sing. I think just how harmonies stacked and like how there were different parts to it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really like get a, there's a like understanding the notes and stuff and how that works. It's a whole different thing than like finding your voice that you can sing with and feel comfortable with. Yeah. And that took me a lot longer. Um, you know, I, I sang in a band, we played like kind of punk rock, uh, my early twenties and it wasn't like, it wasn't singing in that way. You know, I was always just kind of like yelling over the, so you were studying math and it being in a punk rock band. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Very cool. Kind of like a noisy rock band. It wasn't a math rock band at all because the guys that I was in the band with didn't go for that. Neither and neither have I. I've never been like a big, big math rock guy. Um, But yeah, yeah. But like the, it's kind of like loud rock and roll or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, we all have those manifestations of like that archetypal like rock band that you you just play sure. some shows with, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then it wasn't really until I started playing, like, really figuring out my own stuff that I that I like really learned how to sing. I like made some demo recordings, and then my friend was like, "We should put this out on a vinyl." But like, before you go and start like laying down the actual vocal tracks, like, uh, like part of the advance is going to be like, I'm going to like pay for like three singing lessons for you. So I like took three singing lessons, which I think was enough to just like get me like, give me some like warm up exercises and stuff, just like a sense of like where I should be singing from. And I don't, I don't like think about those things that much anymore, but I think it was like, it, it served, a big purpose and just kind of like settling into my, my voice, I would say. And like, so I wasn't like doing an impression of country music, which is maybe a little bit of what I was doing before, you know, like I love Hank Williams and stuff. And like those guys sing like, you know, right from the nasal, right from the, yeah, yeah. from the third eye. Really. And so Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I did it. I just didn't really know how to, it took me a while to like, and I do a little of that, and it, it just took me a while to figure out how to do it authentically, you know, like, as though it were me. Ah, so you know? doing something authentically is, I learned within the last year, I think that's, like, the vibe. Like, you can always learn things very well, that note for note, tone for tone that other people do. But the thing that really transcends and, and, and creates the bridge from one human to another is that it's the one that is from a built out of authenticity, um, what's your, yeah. what's your philosophy on delivering something authentically? Is it just like an internal barometer that you're following? Yeah, I guess so. I don't, you know, it's funny. I like, don't, I, I, I tossed out that word, but I don't, I don't think about it. I think like, uh, mm. you know, when I'm writing and when I'm making stuff, I think about like, my friends and if they would like it, you know, like I have some people I think about, like the people who know me really well, like, would they think this is weird or like, would they think this is me? Um, yeah, that's great. And so that, that actually 
I was thinking about this a lot the other day, actually. So authentic in that sense, like, um, you know, just like trying to, trying to be, be, yeah, I think like, especially on my first record, while I was like learning how to write a country song, you know, a lot of that was, I guess, what in creative writing you call pastiche, which is like, I don't know, I took like Sin City by the Flying Burrito Brothers and I like set my own words to it. And I love pastiche. That's the era yeah. of art that we're in. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of can't get around it to a certain extent. Although like I'm less deliberate about it now. You know, I think like it comes in and it's less like, but yeah, like the first like real country song I wrote or country songs I wrote were like, yeah, I like took that groove from that Billy Swan song and I like made a song out of it. And I like took, I took like the progression of Sin City and I made a song out of it. And like through doing that a few times, I think like now I can, like you learn the patterns of country music and you learn the, like, it's a, it's a, it's like a deep and wide art form, you know? And like, I, I do think a lot of people like write it off as simple in a way that doesn't, like the, a lot of musicians, I think, particularly. Oh, they're so wrong, too. Like, they, they clearly have never played it then. It's like... Yeah, you know, like, I uh, when I I did, like, a first take recording this album, and I, I went out to Toronto to play with these, like, really great... They're, they're great guys, great jazz musicians, like, prodigious... Sure. Virtuosic jazz musicians. And, like, I was like, okay, they, they like, had me come out, and we're like, okay, we're going to, like, track two songs, and... um. And it, and, you know, we didn't, my, my hope was that like, I was going to go up there and my initial hope was like, I'd go up there and we'd like, we'd like get into it for like a month, you know, and like stew in it. And like, I'd play them all my favorite country and they'd play me all their favorite country. And like, we'd get, like, there would be some sense of like shared, like a shared, uh, right. Like catalog and and like a they're you know they pick up music so fast that there a sense that there would be like shared fluency in in like the the sounds and you know changes and pickups just like all the things that make country you know yeah. just the things that you know when you play country music for a while yeah man like, the swing the rhythm the, the yeah, yeah. dynamic the melody yeah yeah like how the bass and the drums like sit in a pocket together like when the guitar mm-hmm. comes in and out. You yeah. know, how the guitar is supposed to play off the vocals and just things like that that like you don't know unless you listen to it a lot. Right. Like you, know? you would think like you listen to a lot of songs, like particularly you're talking about playing off the vocals, like, you know, when you what, what do you do when you have a fiddle player and a steel player in the same country song? Well, right. in one verse, the fiddle player takes fills, and in the second verse, the steel player takes fills. Right, right. Share. And that's an unspoken thing that happens. Right. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of that, obviously, in jazz, too. Sure. It's just, it's just different. It's just less and, fun to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I wouldn't even say that because I. it's just like it's not what I'm going for in my work. And so, like, right. you know, I think I came in and we, they were like, they, I think they're used to as jazz players and they, they play on a lot of pop records and stuff, too. You know, like people come in and they do that that thing that session like Nashville session musicians do, which is like, you know, like I've had these songs that I've been working on for years and they come in and they're great musicians and they like picked it up really fast, but it, like it doesn't play 
it like didn't play back like a country band, you know, it like it played back like these great jazz musicians like doing country, you know, which is a different thing and wasn't specifically what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, I think we could have gotten there with time. You know, I trust that these guys could have picked up anything. I think it just, you know, it takes time and like marinating and stuff. And, uh, it's hard to also like bring yourself down to a level of simplicity musically when you're so uh, efficient in your processing. Right. Like right. it's really hard to like ask like a new MacBook Pro to play Pac-Man. Right. Totally. Yeah. And it's like, that's tough, but it's like, those like, I feel like are the, like, the musicians that like stand the test of time or the ones that are able to communicate to most people. And like right. most people are not on a level of understanding music like jazz musicians are. Right. Like that's very mathematical and intense and all kinds of rules and things you do and don't do and ways to do things. And Yeah. Although I would say my favorite jazz music is like the. Have you listened to Sonny Rollins way out West? I haven't. Is that okay. so good? Right. So it's, yeah. it's Sonny Rollins, obviously one of the best saxophone players. Um, and he's doing all cowboy songs. And it's like That's it's great. so good, yeah. And it's just great, man. You, and again, it revisits the the melodic, timeless gold that country music and western music. Offers. And he does it. He does it well. Yeah. So they'll take like um, "Tumble and Tumbleweeds" or something like that, like "Sons sure. of the Pioneers," the first song, like a Big Lebowski. And they'll right, right. they'll hit the melody really well, and then they just go to the moon and back by improvising around it. You're like, well, that's very cool. Like, especially if you're a player and you can appreciate improvisation. But the melodic way that country music just goes is tied to the soul. Like, it's just perfect. Yeah, yeah I, uh, yeah, I that's, that. that's some good listening, though. Yeah, I think you'd fuck with that pretty heavy. One of my favorite country records is a Bobby Womack record. I mean, he's also like one of my favorite guitar players, too. Oh, uh, BW goes CW. Yeah, one of my like, one of my favorite. And it's weird because like a lot of, I don't know. I saw I saw a review on it on All Music or something that like really panned it, and I think it's like one of the best. I think it's like one of my favorite country records. Like it's just like those those like studio soul players nail it. As I'm looking as at it. It's like I don't know any of those songs. Are those all original songs? Are they? Um, let's see. No, he does like he does like a. Like a vocalized version of a Floyd Kramer, uh, like oh. a slip no piano song. He does like um, that's cool. Who's that? Uh, Charlie Rich, one of those Charlie Rich songs, like uh, Behind Closed Doors. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, that's awesome. A few those other are, ones, yeah. yeah like really old country stuff, like oh, like yeah. like forties, yeah. fifties. I think is most yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah man. it's great. That, great record. Man, so um, we put out a record back back in August, and um, we had this. It was the first record I ever did with a publicist. He's like, cool. there's definitely going to be some reviews that you won't like. Yeah. Send me everything. Like, I want to read every single thing. And reading the reviews of, um, and I'm only bringing this up because you mentioned that all music panned this Bobby Womack record. And it was interesting to, like, hear other people's opinions on on things that I wouldn't let myself say about myself, like, yeah. um, you know, and so have you received any blowback 
um, from publications and, and, and press assets that have come out from your record? Nothing, nothing really harsh. You know, like, I think there was one review I read. I don't even know where it was that, you know, like somebody with, with like a pretty, I would say like an ear or whose ear was tuned more to like a traditional country sound or like a roots a roots rock sound who like really didn't like my use of synthesizers. Oh, I love that. And I was okay with that, you know, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's see, I don't know. I got, I got some, the, the weird, the one review that I got that I think like stuck with me and it's taken me a little while to, and again, it wasn't like a, it wasn't, a, I didn't think it was a burn. Um, but I got one review that, that uh, it was like, the songs are low stakes, you know? And I oh. think that that's, that. That sucks. Well, I just think that it's like, what's. What does that even mean? Yeah. I think I'm just like, I, and I kind of know what it means, which is just that like the songs are about everyday stuff, but like, does that, I don't know. I guess I, I like, I'm, I'm still processing that one. I think, you yeah. know, I, yeah, I agree almost, you know, like I'm not writing about, I'm not writing about like, he stopped loving her today. That is not what you're touching on. No, I'm not. Although, you know, I think it's closer to that than it is to like, like protest music or something like that, where the stakes are like actually quite high, you know, like, right. like things, things, that actually I believe are really high stakes, but you know, I mean, I think like, yeah, like romance and like small, like, I don't know. I, d I don't think that small things need to be low stakes, I guess. It's like, ah. those, are, those are like, I don't know. Maybe it was just like a way, the way they worded it or something, or, you know, I guess my record came out in the context of some like very high stakes things that were going on this summer, obviously like, uh, <laughs> You know, the pandemic and, like, the nationwide protests for, you know, racial equality and stuff. And so, like, yes, in that sense, totally low stakes. Uh, but, yeah, yeah I don't, like, I mean, that was a thing you that ask of a song, you know, like. Yeah, it's like, and you also don't have to. That was the thing, too, that we received some blowback for, too, which was, why aren't you using your platform to discuss these really big, monolithic uh, society uh, societal concepts that are very inflamed in the present moment. And it, the answer, which is valid is I don't really know like about those things. And so why would I yeah. try to talk about things I don't really know about? I can't really bring value to you aside from an individual's opinion. It's like, right. I get, I get on one sense that I get that criticism in the sense that like, if you, I get being a listener and needing something different in that moment. Mm, right. I get, I get being a listener and needing something different than in that moment. Um, and like the society needing something different in that. Moment. Yeah, totally. Um, but as a reflection on the, on the songs itself, you know, I was, cause I was, I was thinking about it a lot. Uh, and my manager, you know, I was processing it for a while and, uh, my manager was like, you know, he, I forget what song he pointed to, but he was like, and this was, this was before the police brutality protests. This was, this was, um, 
This when was, was that, like, George, what was that? That was like May, right? So this must that have been was May. Oh. And I was just kind of like talking because we started the press cycle for my record in like March, I would say. Which wow. is like when the, the pandemic started getting real serious. Terrible timing. My God, sir. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Sorry to hear that. It's okay. Yeah, it is. And it is. I was, I was like stressed about it and I was like thinking about maybe calling it off or something. And it's sure. Like, yeah, it's just like, it's not what people are going to need right now necessarily. But like, that doesn't mean that you should. I think he was talking about like Love Train or something. There was like some seminal pop song that was like released on the same day as the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. Which is like not a song that we associate with that moment at all. It's the last and thing like, when I listen to Love Train, I don't think anything about it. Might not be Love Train. It might be something. It's something Robert else. McNamara. I don't think anything about it's like some, that. It's some other thing. I missed the song. Right. But sure. it's like some some like seminal like pop soul song, and it's like yeah, probably people were freaking out on that day and like didn't really want to listen to that song. But that doesn't mean that it shouldn't have come out at that time. And I think that that's okay. Right. You know, like yeah, man. if people, if, if, if like what people need is not to listen to a white guy with a guitar talking about small things yeah. at that time, but that's, I'm, I'm cool with that. And I'm cool with like a, a, a blowback to that, you know, like, I think yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, man. So what are you working on right now? sounds like you're working on just like bettering your craft on guitar yeah, doing some of that. I I work full time. I like uh, I write code for a, an underwear website. Uh, what's that? Yeah, how'd you know? Oh, I just picked my favorite underwear brand. Yeah, I do. And you know, I work for a, a company that uh, you know contracts with them. I actually don't know. <laughs> Maybe we can cut this because I don't know if they know that I'm a professional musician. Is that okay? If we, oh, that's if we totally that. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't want to like have anything with like them associating their brand with my thing or my thing. Yeah, 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 totally. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how that works. But yeah, I work. Uh, I code for an underwear website. And uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you like their underwear. I haven't tried it myself. Dude, it is the... I, Best underwear in the world. We did the I'm Howard so Stern. Happy. Show. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. It's like unbelievable. It. Makes you wonder because I don't like wearing underwear a lot of the time, especially when I'm playing. Like, and it is the best. Like, you got to try some. It's so I, good. You know, I really got to. The, it's you're so the first good. person outside of somebody within the company who's told me that I really got to try some. And I'm <laughs> right on. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And so I'm kind of, you know, just, I'm just working right now. I'm, I, I like, I've been writing some stuff. I, I have, I, I'm thinking about taking a little bit of time off soon from my work to, to get back to like writing. You know, I think my, my craft is to kind of get back to something that we were talking about earlier is like, I, I think of like talking to other people and seeing other people as a big part of like my writing stuff, like, and writing stories, you know, like I don't, Oh wow. I'm not like able to like conjure stories out of thin air. I'm not frankly a huge reader. Um, and so like, yeah, like talking to my friends and like seeing people and just like getting a feel of what's going on around me is like a big part of, 
knowing what to write about. And obviously that's something that can be done like using the internet or something, but I'm like thirsty for it in a way for my writing that. Um, right. Yeah. You need that like punch in life. You need that life experience. Yeah. It needs to be fresh. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't exist in like a can. Like you can't just put it away and expect to open it two years later. Like it's very much so like, it's like sushi almost like these life experiences. Yeah. I mean, like if something happens to me, like I need like three days at the most to like write a song about it. Otherwise it starts to go into the recesses of my mind and it becomes something that's not really valid. So something I think happened and you know, it's so you're going to take some time off and, and just like start experiencing life through the purview of a writer. Yeah. Or just, you know, like I can't, I have trouble. I have trouble with the, like the compute writing code for computers is cool. It's like a mindset though. And yeah. it's like, I don't know if I can do like, you know, I can do like writing exercises in the morning and stuff before I work and I can like practice guitar while I'm coding and stuff. And like, I can like learn a song, you know, um, I've been learning how to read music, which I never knew how to do. Yeah, I but can see that behind Really you. like get into the creative process of like in the mindset that I think for me, I need to get into to like, to like really start to string together parts, musical bits and parts and lines and stuff for a larger, a larger work on the scale of an album. I think I need to be like doing it, you know, again. Yeah. Like I can, I, I've been like putting scraps in the scrapbook, but I think yeah. in order to like really synthesize it, I'm going to have to like step away for a moment. Um, oh, my father um, worked for Oracle for about a decade. And yeah. he uh, works for a smaller company and and um, consults with with other, with businesses, but IT is always what he's done. And um, his whole concept that I try to take elements of his work and apply it to music all the time, and like how he organizes data and processes, uh, very much so seems musical. So one thing that could be cool to end on is: Does your work in in uh, developing code can you take any of those elements and apply it to developing music either of course right and left brain contrast is very apparent here but yeah you know it doesn't i think technically yes like i think i think like i can very much get into the mindset of like learning to read music while i'm writing code but i think like the human the human uh part of writing a song and like being comfortable with like like incongruities and like ah. binary, like code is binary, right? But the world isn't. It's so, right or wrong. Uh, right. And so I think that that can be kind of, you know, when I'm writing code, that's like hampering to my social interactions. It's not just like, it's not just working out. But I would say that the thing about working on music the link between them is like puzzle solving a little bit. I like like crossword puzzles and shit mm. and like making a country song fit together with the rhymes and the words and the meter and stuff like that. It feels like fitting. It feels like doing a little like puzzle. That's pretty dope. You know, like, like, like there are rules to running a country song. Like, and, you know, you don't have to follow all of them, obviously, or any of them. But, like, in order for something to be a country song or a pop song even, you know, there are, like, certain rules. And, again, you don't have to follow all of them. But, like, probably if, like, you want somebody to recognize it as a song, you got to follow some of them. 
And right, uh, yeah. and so yeah, like I think writing a piece of music according to those rules is maybe similar to like solving a logical problem. Like yeah. To the rules of logic, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah, man, that's um, real. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's the link, if there is one, which I guess there is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's cool. You know, I, I think it's, you know, a lot of musicians aren't able to also work at a, a full-time job and then and delineate their mindset to where they can still create quality music. And you do a fantastic job at it, man. Thank you so much. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> again, like, I think I, like, pick up gigs for a long time and then drop them and, you know, that's, that's... It, it's hard. It's hard to do them both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it is hard. My grandfather wrote a book right before his passing. And he, one of the main concepts in it was the muse, the muses of life do not like to be shared. Yeah. It's almost like a, mon- a relationship based on monogamy. Like you really, in terms of mental state and large windows of time, six months, whatever, you they don't like being shared, the muses. And it's like, yeah, it sounds like you're experiencing yeah. the same concept. Yeah, I had like gigs where I was like working four, three or four days a week, and it's like it's hard. Even even with that like extra time, it's hard to like get into it, you know, because like Monday you gotta wake up and work get all that away and work, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. Man, I can't wait to hear uh, what you come up with. If, if there's anything I could ever do to help you with guitar or anything like yeah, that, yeah, like, I'll definitely keep you in mind. I love your just hit me up, you know, yeah. if you have any yeah. ideas or anything. Yeah. Please, yes, of course. It was great getting to, to chat and hang, man. I can't wait. We'll have to do it in Brooklyn sometime when I Likewise, come on tour. Yeah. Or you come I'm here. hoping to come to Nashville at some point too. You know, so okay. Uh, right when on. the world when the world is uh, you know safe again. Yeah, yeah, right. We'll we'll find that light. It's there. <laughs> cool, man. <Great laughs> right on, Doug. Nice yeah. meeting you, my friend. All nice right, you too. Yeah. All right, dude. Come take on. it, take it easy. Go all go check out Mr. Dougie Poole's music on all the platforms. I especially love the work that he puts out on YouTube, the aesthetic, all uh, these old like nudie suits, uh, HR ranch suits, uh, really just beautiful aesthetic, great production behind the music, great songwriting. I'm a fan, Mr. Dougie Poole. Thank you all so much for subscribing, following, and reviewing the Cosmic Country podcast, The Lost Highway, on Apple Music, Spotify, or whichever platform you prefer, YouTube as well. Uh, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Daniel Donato, Facebook, Daniel Donato, Twitter, Daniel Donato. Connect with me on TikTok as well. I do some videos every now and then that are not as uh, not as uh, not as serious as what I do on other platforms. Um, y'all also make sure, importantly, to go join the Cosmic Country Club on DanielDonato.com. That is where the new Cosmic Country record is going to be sent before. It is sent out into the world for anyone else to hear. Thank you so much. Again, stay patient, stay persistent, stay positive, stay cosmic.